my thing around. That's um today in the series in Ezra and Ezra through and, and from now up to Advent and then after Christmas, we're going to be in Ezra and Nehemiah. And last week, we kind of looked at the background of that. So if, if you missed that and you're going to be here for the series, then, then I, I'd encourage you to go, go online and, and listen to that again because it really sets up the background. Um, another really helpful thing to do is if you've ever, if you've ever come across the Bible Project, um, it's a great website and they do these kind of animated videos um, which, which outline the whole book. Really go on, uh, It's really good kind of history, background, story, arc, that whole thing. Go and watch the Bible Project video with Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, I'm going to pray for us again before we get stuck in. Lord Jesus, thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you for our kids. Uh, thank you for your word that you're speaking to your people, the church this morning. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I wonder what the best invitation you've ever had to something is what maybe you, maybe there's a particular invitation that you remember. Um, uh, maybe it's a fancy dinner, like a gala dinner you've been invited to, or um, a, a wedding. Like wedding invitations tend to be the best kind of looking invitations, don't they? They're really fancy. They always have like stuff stuck on them and fancy writing and all that kind of stuff. That shows how much style I have. Um, wedding invitations tend to be the fanciest. I remember getting an invitation in the post one time, and I wasn't expecting it. And this invitation was there when I got in. It was a, it was a dark blue envelope. It had gold letters on it, and it said invitation inside. And I kind of got a wee bit excited. I was like, what is this? Like, I didn't know I was being invited to something. And so I opened it up, and I was like, what could this be? What could it be? And it was an invitation from my dentist to uh, make an appointment for my annual checkup. So that invitation was a bit of an anticlimax. And that's the funny thing about invitations. Some of them are easier to ignore or decline than others, right? I mean, if... It was pretty easy for me to decline or ignore that invitation, which I probably shouldn't, to go to my dentist. Um, I felt like I was being tricked, to be honest. Um, but usually if we get an invitation to a wedding, then we do say yes. We find that easy to say yes to, don't we? Um, because even if you don't like the people, it's free food. So um, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, or imagine if you get an invitation to go to court. You can't really say no to that, can you? Well, you can, but there'd be serious repercussions. Well, right here at the beginning of Ezra, uh, the, the people, uh, the Hebrew people, the people of Israel are being given an invitation. Uh, God is inviting them to leave their exile and return to their homeland. Remember, that's the setup for this whole story. The people of Israel are in exile, in captivity in Babylon, which then became Persia. God is inviting them to, to leave their exile and return to their homeland. God is calling them, we could say. He's calling them. He's calling them out of exile and into this home that they had never known. You see, even though they were exiled from the promised land, most of the people who had left by this stage, 70 years on, had died. It was a new generation that were born in exile. And, and God, based on his promises, is calling the people out of exile into the home that he has made for them. And so what I think is that this raises a question for us here in our church in the modern world. And the question is this, how will we respond? How are we going to respond to the call of God as he builds his church? Now you might be thinking, how do you get from A to B there? What has that got to do with us? Well, you see, what's happening in Ezra chapters 1 and 2 is that the people are in exile, away from God's presence, away from the promised land. And the reason they're in exile is because of their unfaithfulness to God. It's a result of their actions. 
But it's in that place of exile that God invites them out of exile and makes a way possible for them to come into the promised land. Now, I wonder, does that sound familiar? The people in exile, in captivity, and God to come into the promised land. If that sounds familiar to you, it's probably because you're familiar with the story of Exodus. I've got a sore throat, so if I'm drinking a lot today, it's just because my throat's really sore and tickly. When the Hebrew people, we read this in the book of Exodus, were in captivity in Egypt. Maybe you've seen the movie, The Prince of Egypt, or what's the one with, with Christian Bale? I like that one, the Moses one. Is it Gods of Egypt? I don't know, it's really good, where he like comes out of Egypt and it's all about Moses. That's a cool one as well. Maybe you've seen the movies. The people are captive in Egypt, and God uses Moses to call them out of Egypt, out of captivity, and he makes a way for them to leave, and he brings his people to the home that he had prepared for them in the promised land. And here, in Ezra chapters 1 and 2, that Jess read for us, God is once again bringing his people out of exile and into the home that he has prepared for them. Now, be honest with me. How many of you glazed over as soon as we got to the 30 basins of gold, the 1,000 basins of silver, the 29 censers, the 30 bowls of gold, the 410 bowls of silver? And how many of you when we got to the names of all these people? Because that's kind of what we do. When we get to the details, we kind of go, okay, I don't need to know this stuff. But the details are important. We didn't read most of chapter 2 because it's a list of numbers and names and we didn't have time, but the details are important. And what these details show us is that Ezra chapter 1 and 2 is an exact repeat of what is happening in Exodus out of Egypt. You see, when the Hebrews were leaving captivity in, in Egypt, God made it so that the people of Egypt gave them a bunch of gold and silver and treasure and said, take this and be on your way. This is part of the miracle. Not only did God bring them out of captivity, he brought them out at the king's request. Pharaoh says, please go and take all this treasure with you. And the same thing is happening here in Ezra. And also, when the Hebrews came out of Egypt, there was a huge census taken, and numbering all the people in all the tribes. And the same thing is happening here. This is what Ezra chapter 2 is. And we'll see this through Ezra and Nehemiah. Names and numbers of people. And we're meant to notice that there's a numbering of the people happening. You see, <coughs> excuse me, we're, we're meant to read this story and think, hang on a second, this sounds familiar. Certainly the, 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 certainly, the Hebrew people would have read the story of Ezra and Nehemiah and gone, hang on a second, this is familiar. We've seen this before. So what does this have to do with us here in the 21st century? Well, what's happening in Ezra, chapters 1 and 2, is a new but not final exodus. It's a new but not final exodus. You see, Ezra chapters 1 and 2 is not just a retelling of the exodus story, it's a foretelling of the final Exodus story. See, the Exodus and this new Exodus in Ezra are both pointing forward to the final Exodus that is happening right now through the person and work of Jesus. The work of Jesus building his church is actually an Exodus. Right? We, we are exiled away from God in captivity to our sin, but through Jesus, God has made a way and then he invites us to come out of exile, to return to the home that we've never known. See how this mirrors Exodus and Ezra? Our story mirrors their stories. Nehemiah is a new but not final Exodus. 
We're called out of exile to a home that we've never known, yet one which is ours through the promise of God's word and through the person and work of Christ. In other words, we can put it this way, and this is a really important point to remember. Jesus is the home that we are being called out of exile for. Jesus is the home that we're being called out of exile for. And this world will never feel like home. I know a lot of you feel that way. Because it's not our home. We've been called out of the world. And so, in a sense, as Christians, we live as strangers and and aliens in this world. Confidence that, that Jesus is coming again, and then we will finally feel at home. Ezra and Nehemiah is a retelling of the Exodus story, but it is also a foretelling of Jesus Christ and his forever kingdom, the new creation, the new earth, the new heaven and the new earth. So God is building his church, and he's doing so in this kind of Exodus way. Does that make sense? He's, he's calling people out of exile to the home that they've never known in Jesus. And so come back to our question. If God is building his church through the call, calling people out of exile, then how will we respond to the call of God as he builds his church? God is inviting a new generation to respond to to join in the final exodus. It's God who's building this church, calling people out of, exodus, or out of exile to join him in this renewing work. That's why we say, we're, as a church, we're joining God in the renewal of all things. God is, God is renewing the world and we join him in that. So the question is, how will we respond? And this passage that Jess read for us, that we read together, there's three things that we see about the invitation of God. Firstly, we're going to see the proclamation of God, the proclamation of God's call. Then we're going to see the response to God's call, and then we're going to see the results of God's call. So let's start with this first one, the proclamation of God's call, in which we see that, that God initiated from exile. Look at verses 1 to 4 with me again. See, what we see, and I think they're on the screen. Let's just keep those up there for a minute, uh, Duncan, please. We see that in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that the, the, word, of the, Lord might, the, word, of the, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, that God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and he even put it in writing, saying, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all kingdoms on earth. So, what he's actually saying there, he's saying that actually my conquests have been pretty successful. I'm Cyrus the Great, right? I, I've conquered all these lands. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Among you of all his people. So if you're a Hebrew person, if you, you're one of those people who's descended from the exiles, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. And then he says, by the way, all the people around you are going to give you help and money and all that kind of stuff. So here's what's going on here. A little bit of background. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, God's people have been taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire, right? And you can read that uh, through uh, the, the books of Chronicles and so on. But while they are in captivity in Babylon, one of the biggest empires at the time, this is a region where different competing empires. And Babylon, while the Hebrews are in exile, is actually conquered by the Persian Empire, an even bigger empire. And, and the king of Persia is this guy, Cyrus. History calls him Cyrus the Great. You can go on Wikipedia him. It's very interesting and kind of crazy guy. Um, he conquered lots of people. And one of the first things that when he takes over the Babylonian Empire, 
he sees all these people who have been brought from other nations into, like, into captivity. And one of the first things he does is say, you can all go home. Like all the people that have been taken captive, you can all go back to where you came from and you can, I'm going to let you go and live and worship your own, your own gods. And this includes God's people, the Hebrews. Now, you might be wondering why a powerful emperor would do this. Why would he let loads of people go? Well, some historians say that it's because Daniel, who you might remember from the book of Daniel in the Bible, Daniel was an Israelite, and he actually, some historians think that, that he actually showed King Cyrus this prophecy from Isaiah, which names Cyrus and says, Cyrus is going to be the one who, who lets his people go and all that kind of stuff. And so the suggestion is that Cyrus, when reading his own name in a prophecy by a prophet of God, wants to have a self you know, fulfilling history, and so he decides, I'm going to fulfill this prophecy that's about me. Some historians also say that, that Cyrus had his own gods, the gods of Persia that he prayed to. And, and so he thought that if he could get all the people to go back to their own lands and worship their own gods, then their lesser gods could pray to his gods for his success. So, so when he says, the Lord, the God of Israel, he's the God that's in Jerusalem, he's simply saying, well, Yahweh is the God of the Hebrew people, so you guys go back and worship him. He doesn't seem that important. Get him to pray to my gods, the big dogs, so that I'll be more successful. But whatever historians say, whatever reasons they come up with, Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, tells us the reason why Cyrus made this proclamation. It's right there on the screen. It was God who stirred the heart of King Cyrus. He stirred up the, the spirit of King Cyrus. God was the cause of his people coming home. God was behind it all. You see, God is the initiator of his people's return from exile. The initiator of God of his people returning from exile. One of my favorite podcasts at the minute is The Rest is History. Anybody else? Rest is History? No. A few people. Yes. Of course, Chris. Yeah. Um, rest is Politics is very good as well. Um, uh, but that, if you listen, and I love it because you're hearing all these your stories from history and why things happened. And if you listen to that, you could be easily thinking that it's that history is changed by powerful people making decisions. And, and that is true to a degree, of course, in one sense it's true, but it's actually God who's behind it all. God stirred the king's heart. And, and if we look closely at the text, we see that the Hebrews returned from exile. The providence of God and the faithfulness of God. Now, providence is just a big word that means that God, with wisdom and love, it, it cares for and directs and guides the universe. That's what it means. Like it means that, that he is the one that is making history unfold the way it does. He is the one who is guiding the world. He is the one stirring hearts. He even uses pagan kings in the Persian Empire to accomplish his purposes. You see, there was, there was never a chance that King Cyrus the Great was going to do anything that God Almighty didn't want him to do. That was simply out of the question was the one who made the proclamation that day, but it was the king of kings who was making it happen. God is in control, working out his promises for the good of his people. History will unfold exactly as he means it to. And church, this gives us so much comfort, right? I was even thinking about this this week as I was reading this. Think of the political mess that we have on our hands right now. Right, there's a new prime minister every five minutes in London, right? And they don't seem to know what they're doing. 
in a hell installment, they can't get it together, and now we've got another election coming up. Like, the whole thing's a mess. And it'd be easy to be faced with these situations and think, you know, people can't feed their families, we can't heat our homes, and, and these are all things that we, the church, are called to respond to, absolutely, and we will, and are responding to those things. But we do so with hope, because we know that no matter how chaotic things with our leaders and those in power, that God is in control. He is working. He's using all things to bring about his plans for the world. Uh, the, the, one of the lessons we learned from Ezra chapter 1 is that, that God is working so that people will be called out of exile to find their home in Jesus. God stirs up the, king, the heart of the king. God is the one who is in control. Proverbs 21 verse 1 tells us that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord wherever he will. So we don't have to despair. We can just have this humble confidence that God is in control. We play our part in serving those in need and caring for those in need. Trust in Jesus, knowing that God is in control. He's in control, and not only that, he's fulfilling his plans. And not only is he fulfilling his plans, he's fulfilling his plans to bring people out of exile into their home in Jesus. So the Hebrews' return was based on the providence of God, but was also based on the faithfulness of God. Simply put, God keeps his word, right? God is a person of his word. Verse 1 of Ezra chapter 1 tells us that the Lord stirs the spirit of Cersei, stirs him up to act, so that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. God will always keep his word. That's one thing you can count on God for. He will always keep his promises. You see, here, here on display in the first words of this book, of this whole story, is the faithfulness of God to his people. Because even though they're in exile as a result of their unfaithfulness, they're the ones that have abandoned him, God is still faithful to them. And in our understanding of justice, right, these people don't deserve God's kindness and faithfulness. Right? This point is made over and over again in the Old Testament. The Old Testament stresses the, the grievousness of their unfaithfulness by using marriage language, okay? God repeatedly says, I was your husband, and you uh, cheated on me. Not just once, but over and over and over again. Now, most people in a marriage wouldn't put up with one instance of adultery, let alone repeated unfaithfulness. But, but we're, and, and so we're meant to feel the weight of their unfaithfulness they don't deserve to be taken back, but God was faithful to them anyway because he loves them and because he made a promise to them. God keeps his word, and he has spoken his word through the prophets. And one of the prophets, Jeremiah, warns them and predicts that as judgment, Babylon is going to come and conquer them, right? Which would be followed with 70 years of exile. And that's exactly what we see happening. But God also speaks a promise through Jeremiah. The people will return to the land. The Messiah would shoot up from Judah and all the nations would recognize that Israel's God is the one true God. And he actually calls this promise a new covenant. We read this last week. The new covenant is a promise of a new heart and he'd write his law on their hearts and, we, and he would forgive their sins forever. And when God stirs the king's heart, he's not just initiating the people's return from exile, he's fulfilling his word of a promise of a new covenant, a covenant which finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So church, when we read this story this morning, we can be sure that God always keeps his word. 
All the promises we find in the Bible are trustworthy. How do we know this? Because God has proven his faithfulness through Jesus. He promised the new covenant. He promised salvation. He promised a home for his people. And he followed through in his promises. He kept good in his word. So you can say, baby Molly was born. uh, He promises to never leave you or forsake you. So you don't have to be crippled by loneliness and despair. He promises that nothing can separate you from his love. So you don't have to doubt your salvation. He promises that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him. So you don't have to be filled with depression and anxiety. God always keeps his word. That's the first thing that we see. That God initiates the people's return and that he keeps his word. That's the proclamation. The second thing we see is the response to God's call. And in the response to God's call, we see that God invites his people out of exile. I see this whole first section of Ezra is about God stirring up hearts. He stirs up the king's heart, first of all. But then in verse 5, I think that's on the screen as well, we see that, that, that all the people rose up, that the heads of the father's houses, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. God stirred up the hearts of those who would return. And what's the parallel for us? Well, well, Jesus is the hope. I pray that they would just sell it. We're called to. And it's God who is calling each person to return. God is extending the invitation. You see, we've been exiled from God since birth because of our sin. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. It tells us that we're dead in our sins, exiled away from home, away from Jesus by, by sin, from our birth. But because of the faithfulness and power of God, he calls the dead to rise, as Paul puts it. Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Thanks be to God. Maybe you feel like mercy because of his unstoppable love. By grace, God is stirring in us. He's calling us. He's making us alive together with Christ. You see, Outside of Jesus, we were in a far worse exile than just living in a foreign land. We were dead. But God still stirred our hearts. God stirred our dead, cold hearts and allowed us, even though we were dead, to respond to his invitation to bring us out of exile back to the home we'd never known, the home we have in Jesus. See, the the heart that God stirs has no choice but to respond This is what we see in verse 5. Everyone, it says, whose spirit God had stirred. So everyone he stirs rose up and returned to Judah. The proclamation of the king went out to the whole land. All the Israelites heard that. They, They all heard this proclamation. But it was only the ones that God stirred in their hearts that responded to the invitation. And it's the same for us here alive in Jesus. Our exile was death and our captivity was sin. And a dead heart is completely um, unable to respond to an invitation, right? Your, your work efforts into you. And I think that's a real symptom of a stones to a dinner party in my house. But that would be a pretty fruitless exercise, right? Because dead people can't respond to invitations. And so it was with us. We were completely unable to respond to the invitation of God to come out of our exile until the Holy Spirit stirred in our dead hearts and made them alive and allowed us to respond to the invitation of God by trusting in Jesus. So if you are a Christian this morning, it's because God has stirred your heart to return from exile. 
by trusting in Jesus that he has broken the chains of your captivity. And so we can thank God and praise him that there is not one part of our salvation. Well, I'm not really in the job I want to be. I'm not, I'm not really where I want to be. Turn the tide of history and he stirs the hearts of people he loves to bring them out of exile and back to him, to the home he has prepared for us. And listen, I think this is also hugely freeing for us as we share the good news of Jesus with others, right? When we talk to our friends, because the proclamation goes out to all the people, but, but only the people that, that God stirs respond. So we can freely tell the good news of Jesus to everyone and then rest in the knowledge that it's not our responsibility for who believes. That work, the stirring of hearts, belongs to God alone. We are the messengers and he is the one who who gives faith, right? And God isn't done stirring hearts. (laughs) Just like in Ezra and Nehemiah, after this initial call, we're going to see time and time again more people return. Well, God is still calling people out of exile. The people in your life that you love that don't know Jesus yet, God is calling them out of exile. And our job is simply to proclaim that. Like the king, listen, God is building his temple. He's building his church and he, enjoy, he invites you to join in that. And let him do the work of stirring people's hearts. And yet, it's exactly the thing you're here this morning. Then let me invite you to consider, is God stirring your heart? Because you're here today with these people listening to this message joining with the community of Jesus. So I wonder, do you feel God stir in your heart? And if you do, then, then respond, trust in Jesus, because he is the home that you have been made for. Like all of our desire to belong, all of our desire to fit in, to have security, to have community, to have relationship, to be accepted, to, 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 the, the desire for fulfillment, Joy, all those things are only found in any complete sense, in any permanent sense, in Jesus. That's what Jesus is teaching in this. God is stirring your heart this morning, then I plead with you to respond. For us as Christians, we come back to our original question. How will we respond to the call of God as he builds his church? See, responding to the invitation to come out of exile for the Hebrews was just the first step. After this, there was a lifetime of following God. A lifetime of returning home. They had to make the journey from, from Persia all the way back to Judah. Then they had to get on with the work of rebuilding the temple and then the community and then, and then the city. And this is the journey that we are on. And maybe God has stirred your heart and you're on the journey, but you're not really getting on with the work. Or, or maybe there are parts of your life that the Lord wants to restore that you're not really alive. Uh, the you've come home from exile, but you're not really interested in the temple being built. What is it in your life that God is calling to you, calling you to? How are we going to respond? See, uh, the amazing thing is, and this is where we come on to our final lesson this morning, is that we all have a home in Jesus. And all of us have a place and a part to play. We've seen the proclamation of God's call. We've seen the response to God's call. And finally, we see the results of God's call. And, th- and this really shows us that God includes all kinds of people as he builds his church. In chapter 2, we're given this long list of, of names and numbers of people returning day off their hearts. And one of the things that we notice in this is just the diversity of people, right? You see it in verse 70 that we, that we read. There are priests and Levites and singers and gatekeepers and temple servants, all kinds of people. And what we need to see is that God calls, uh, as God calls his people out of exile, there's a place for everyone in this new home. 
The kingdom of Jesus is the only home where, where every kind of person finds a place, right? Singers and builders, young and old, nobles and peasants. Women and men, rich and poor, nationalists, unionists, Irish, British, artists and accountants, drug addicts and businessmen. It, everyone's included. Everyone is welcome. Like, there's no litmus test, Lord, but you can make the grade. God chooses you because he chooses you. In fact, the, the worse off you are, the better. And this is the invitation that I think is ringing out from Ezra chapter 2. The invitation that anyone whose spirits are being stirred by God can respond and join in this journey. Jesus is building his church and he chooses who he wants to be part of it. The kingdom of Jesus is for all kinds of people. I was telling Haley this last night because she said something about me, uh, something nice, which she does now and again. She says something nice about me now and again. But I'm always like, oh, no, 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 not me, not me, you know, for your mind. And then she said, I can't remember what she said, but she said, like, um, you know, it's n- that's not your call. That's not your decision. If I, if I think something nice about you, then that's not up to you what you think about yourself. Well, listen, maybe you feel that you're not gifted enough to be, have a place in God's kingdom. Maybe you feel that you're not able to bring any value to this church. Well, listen, if God has stirred up your heart, it's because he wants you. If you are in Jesus, it's because he wants you. And so who are you to disagree with God? Seriously, I say that with a smile on my face, but it's not a joke. Let this be a comfort and a hope on those days when you feel worthless. Or all you can think about is your own failures and shortcomings. Or when the devil worships all your sin in your face. Which if you're like me, it's probably every day. You can own all those things and you can say, yep, that's true. All my sin and failures and fears and doubts, I can know all those things and own all those things and still know that God has chosen you to be part of his kingdom. He stirred your heart. He invited you to come out of exile and he has freed you from captivity. Why? Just because he loves you. God chooses who he wants to and who are you to disagree so if you are a Christian, you're a part of this final exodus and, and you're a part of it because what God wants you to be. So in some respect, and in no disrespect, you can tell yourself whatever you want. You can tell yourself that you have no place or no worth or no value. And my hunch is that we all tell ourselves these things, don't we? But God says, you do have a home. He says, you do have worth. In fact, you're worth so much that I give my son to die for you. And You can say, I don't have value. And he says, your value is so great that I have prepared an eternal place of glory and honor for you. Isn't that comforting? And this is what it's all heading towards, isn't it? Ezra and Nehemiah is the new but not final exodus. We're called out of exile to this home that we've never known. A home that we've never known would just be going off, why are you so lazy today? (laughs) If a house fell on somebody, Jesus is the home that we're being called out of exile for. So yes, it might not feel like we have a home here in the world because this isn't our home. We've been called out of this world. But we, we, we live here in this world anyway as strangers with this confidence that, that, that we belong here because God has put us here and he has called us to this and because Jesus is coming back and God will complete what he has begun in us. This is why we desire to be a community of people who love Jesus, each other, and our city of Belfast, and our island, and our country, and the world, and all that kind of stuff. 
Because we're joining God in the renewal of all things. This is the now and the not yet that we live in. We live in this now and not yet in the confidence that God is in control. He's guiding all of history to accomplish this. And he's doing all this so that others will respond into his invitation and come out of exile. And Jesus isn't going to return until every last person that God has called has come home out of exile. So if you're praying for that person to know Jesus, then have hope. Allowed for hungry travelers, for people in need to take in our hearts. So let me ask us one last time. In light of all of that, in light of his love for us and what he's doing, and the kids have been so good, how are we going to respond to the call of God as he builds his church? Come, Holy Spirit, let's pray. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you are working in your church. We want to thank you that you are building this church, that you're building your church, that you're building your kingdom, the new temple, the new Jerusalem, the new home for your people. And you're doing that through calling people out of exile. And you've called us out of exile. And you're doing all of this and then eating it. They were preparing food. Death and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that, that we didn't do this for ourselves so that we can't boast in it. And frankly, Lord, if, if I did it for myself, it wouldn't be a very good job. Um, Lord, help us to just accept for those of us who struggle to accept that we have worth and value to you, just remind us of that every day. You, you choose who you want to choose. Who are we to argue with you, Lord? Give us comfort in that, Lord. Those of us who struggle with self-esteem and worth and value, help us to see that we have a home in you because you've chosen us. Uh, for anybody that is feeling tired, and even the joke I made earlier about grumpy and all that kind of, to submit to their rules. They want Jesus under their law. They had made themselves lords of the Sabbath. Sometimes I have to admit, when I read stuff like this, I'm like, Jesus, how are you not losing it with these guys? Like, I would just lose it. Uh, thankfully, I'm not Jesus. And he is patient and gracious. Sometimes he, he does uh, rightly get angry, but here, 